It's going to be good. Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a road, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis from freezing Westchester. It's 25 degrees outside, but this is going to definitely warm you up. We've got award-winning author Cindy McDonald here, and we're going to meet Alexa Owl. Poor Alexa, she gets more than she bargained for because now she's got to work with Bobby Starr. He's a detective, but he wants to be in the Guardian Angel Squad. I think a lot of people in America over here would like to be in that squad too to take over the world. So she's all she's taking a trip back to 1953, which they tell me was a very good year. So join me for this fun interview. Hi, good morning. How are you? This is fun. Good, good morning, Fran. How are you today? Hanging in there. As best I can, yeah. like everybody else. That's I, right. I feel That's like, I, I, you know, like I, I don't go anywhere. So this keeps me going. And my show, everybody, I'm really sorry. I don't have anything till May. My show is definitely booked solid till the middle of oh, May. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and to honor me even further, on June 29th, I got an exclusive interview with Tess Gerenson and Gary Braver. They oh, said wow. Yeah, yeah, I know. Great. And I've got a few. I've got James Gopando next week too. That's even like whoa. <laughs> so mm. what can I say? So tell us about Alexa and why she moved. And the poor girl lost her boyfriend. Yeah, get over it, please. <laughs> well, Seriously. Alexa Owl um, has been living in Columbus, Ohio, which is only about three hours down the road from Pittsburgh. It's really not that far away, but she's from Pittsburgh. Great. Born and raised in Pittsburgh, and uh, she's been living there, college there, she married there, but unfortunately, after I think 11 years is what I said, she and her husband parted ways, and and fortunately, the parting was amicable. They just they just didn't want to be with anybody either each other anymore, so they parted ways, and um, she moved back to back to the Berg. The Pittsburgh is called the Berg. And um, she comes back to the Berg, and she, her husband, as part of her settlement, you know, divorce settlement, um, buys a, an old abandoned building that used to be an Irish pub back in the day, and he has it completely refurbished for her. She lives in the apartment upstairs, which used to be three apartments back in the 50s, but now it's just one big penthouse suite where she lives. And uh, she has a courtier shop downstairs where she does, um, she makes clothing, she does repairs, she does, you know, wedding dresses, all that sort of thing. And it's called the Owl's Nest. I wish she was here because I could use somebody <laughs> to make stuff for me too. My, my shopping is on Amazon, people. I don't even go into a store anymore. And and and, it, and the other place is Etsy, 
they they will create anything that you want. Oh yeah, for a lot of money. They're great for a lot of money though. But I've had my sweatshirts and stuff created by them. I create the pictures and stuff, and they create the exorbitant price. But it's worth it when you have to can't go anywhere. So, and those of you that are getting divorced, you want to find out how she did this because really that's great. <laughs> Get a whole business and everything. Well, so, her husband was very well off. He was a real estate broker. And he's very well off, and, and she had a courtier shop down in, in Columbus as well. It's not like she's just doing this off the top of her head. She had one there and has decided yeah. to move home. Yeah. Who, who created this space for her? Who made this for her? Well, her husband, like I said, bought the old storefront, and um, it had been abandoned for a long time. I, I believe the uh, Lazy Hound Pub had been out of business since 1967 or something like that. It had been, it had been business. So it had been sitting there, and it's in what's known as the Strip District in Pittsburgh. The Strip District is an area that's filled with um, shops and um, nightlife and restaurants. It's one of the most um, visited places in Pittsburgh. But that said, there are still a lot of abandoned storefronts in the Strip District. And so he bought her one of these, and they hired a uh, contractor, and mm. she hi- and then they hired a, a designer, so that the, the woman from Boston, and she did all the designing upstairs in the house. It's all country French. And... Uh, she, you know, all this was done on her ex-husband Dennis' Dennis Owl's dime, and uh, but he got to keep his brokerage firm. He got to keep the big house they had in Columbus, and uh, so she got this, and and she got a pleasant settlement as well. So um, that is great. Yeah. So I won't tell you what other people get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So who's Winnie, and why did she show up, and what's her connection? I do like her. Seriously. Everybody likes Winnie. Winnie is I the love character. Winnie. Pardon me? I love Winnie. Winnie's so yeah, cool. Everybody loves her. She's an old Irish lady. She's about 78 years old, and she's retired from Duquesne Light Company, which is um, uh, an electric company over here in Pittsburgh. And she um, worked there for, you know, many, many years in accounts receivable. But anyway, her parents used to own the Lazy Hound Pub. And so she's been watching all this construction on this old pub. And so the day that Alexa shows up to see, you know, this is when at the beginning of the book she pulls in and this is her first time to lay eyes on all the stuff that's been done. So when she goes inside the shop, Minutes later, Winnie comes in and introduces herself, and that's where we find out what a character Winnie is, because Winnie was raised by Irish parents, Irish immigrants, and, you know, she likes her Irish whiskey. She loves to bake, and one of the main ingredients in her her baking is Irish whiskey. (laughs) And um, she has a lot of great um, sayings and toasts, and everybody just loves Winnie. Her actual name is Winona. Winona Mulaney is her real name. So why did this was scary? I don't like cats that much. Oh, dogs. 
Well, dog, my brother has a dog, and Bella Bella misses me because whenever they walk the dog, Bella Bella says hi because I miss you because you're the only one that knows how to hug me. So poor <laughs> Bella Bella. Um, why did she see a cat, and what was the cat focused on and why? This is a strange cat, people. Well, as soon as Alexa <clears throat> gets out of her car, she pulls up in front of the shop. Yeah. Like I said, this is her first time that she's laid eyes on her shop in Pittsburgh. And um, she's looking at the outside, and she suddenly sees movement in a window above the shop, like where her apartment is, knows the apartment is. And she, uh, says, she sees that it's a cat. And she's like, what? And it's a white cat. It's a beautiful white cat. And she's like, what is that cat doing in my apartment? My God, I am so allergic to cats. But then when she looks again, the cat is gone. So when Winona or Winnie shows up, they go up into the apartment. She, she wants to show Winnie the apartment because, once again, back in 1953, it was not just one apartment. It was three apartments. And, uh, of course, the cat makes its appearance. But it's not a regular cat. You can't mm. touch her because she is a ghost cat, and her name is Garbo. And she is from 1953, and uh, Winnie is very, very familiar with Garbo. That's scary. So why did Winnie become part of her business? That was clever. Well... Um, as they they were sitting there talking, the two of them, you know, Winnie, of course, told her her background, you know, with the, the pub and the fact that her mother sent her to business school back in the day and that she worked for Duquesne Light. And, and you know, with Alexa just coming to Pittsburgh, she didn't have someone to do the books. She didn't have a sales girl, and she really needed an assistant tailor. And she was waiting on companies who were looking for those things to find them for her. But she, this was a Friday, I believe, and she opened on Monday. So she decided to ask Winnie if she wanted to be her accounts payable, uh, receivable person. And Winnie jumped right on it because it was an opportunity for her to, you know, be back inside that old pub. And, and even the old bar is still there. You know, um, the bar is there. One end of it is a coffee bar, and the other end is, like, where the cash desk is. So it was a chance for her to be part of her past. Well, I'm glad because, you know what, so many people, and this gets me so annoyed, that when they judge people by your age, that you can't do anything, I want to smack them in the head. It gets me annoyed. Yeah, and older people, a lot of times, they're... You just know so much, and if you just listen, I know. So, much. so we've got Bobby Star. What does Winnie tell her about him, and why does he show up, and who sent him? Well, um, as they're walking through the uh, the upstairs, and she's showing Winnie her penthouse suite. Winnie's telling her, you know, this used to be three apartments, and as you come to the top of the steps, there is a bathroom right there, but. Winnie informs her that used to be the bathroom. That was mm-hmm. the bathroom for all of the tenants. They, you know, not everybody didn't have their own little private bathroom. And she points to the different parts of the wall, like where Alexa's bedroom is. That used to be Bobby Starr's um, uh, apartment. 
and he used to live there with his wives. And and Alexa's like, what, what do you mean wives? You mean plural? He had wives, not a wife. Oh, she says, oh yes, he had, you know, five wives. And she's like, at the same time. And she goes, oh no, 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 no. He just went through them, you know. And um, three of his five wives' names were Catherine, um, which which Alexa just found amazing. Married five times, and three of them would have the same name. But um, and then the next apartment was an old Irish couple's apartment, and then the whole front of the building uh, belonged to Winnie's family, the Mullanies. And, and uh, so as they're sitting in the living room and they're talking, who should show up but Bobby Starr? And he, of course, is an angel. And he has been sent by St. Pete because he wants to be a member of the prestigious guardian angel squad run by St. Pete. And uh, so in order to do that, you know, basically, which is not a surprise, you have to fix, well, he has to fix three things that he left undone when he was still alive. And in his case, he was a PI, and he left three murders undone unsolved. So St. Pete sends him back to Earth, but he sends him to Alexa, figuring, yeah, this guy needs some help here. And he wants Alexa to help him find the the killer for Bobby's second wife, Cora Star. And Cora Lee, that's who at Garbo was. Garbo belonged to Cora Lee. And that is why the cat is still in the building. He sits and keep vigilant the window that overlooks the parking lot behind Alexa's building where mm-hmm. Ali's body was found. This so Bobby has, to do, Bobby has to do some begging and uh, because Alexa's like, why, why would I do this? I don't even know you. Why, why would I even get involved in this? That's and crazy, then finally yeah. she, she says, I'll tell you on Monday whether I'm going to do this or not. I would not do that. Although 1953, they told me, was a very happy year, but because 2021 isn't putting any better than 2020. For some reason, we need to all go backwards. This is horrible. So you voted in two timelines. What are the drawbacks of solving cases in the past? How do you manage to keep it straight so that the reader, like me, doesn't have a problem and go like, say what? Well, um... First of all, when we <coughs> go to 1953, I keep the two storylines very separate. She does come home yeah, every once in a while, but when she comes home, the circumstances at home are much different than the circumstances in 1953. So I, I keep it very separate so that when she comes home, you're not looking at a murder. You're looking at circumstances at the shop like when they hire that uh, sales girl, Stacia. And um, then when you go to 1953, which Alexa was not happy about having to go to, it's all the murder. It's just the murder. And the solving murders in 1953 are nothing like solving murders in the 21st century. Because 
Right. There's no DNA evidence. You know, there's no all these special tools that they have now that they can look through or run through a machine. And, you know, those things were non-existent, just like cell phones. They're just non-existent. Mm. So when she gets separated from Bobby, it's not like she can pick up her cell phone and text him and say, where are you? Because there are no mm. cell phones. So, and actually, I found it to be easier to write that than the other way. Because sometimes our, our way of solving murders with DNA evidence and all of that kind of gets in the way of the story, if you know what I mean. It just kind of gets yep, in the way I of do. the story. Yes. And this way, I didn't have to deal with any of that. None of it. I, all I had to deal with was fingerprints. Big deal. They're, they're just Fingerprints are nothing in comparison to all the other things. But mm-hmm. when she tells Bobby about these other things, he's just absolutely dumbfounded by them, and he calls it hocus pocus. Calls it. Oh, so, all I know uh, is that you know I don't know what people would do now without a cell phone. You know, you walk in the street and people—they don't even look where they're going. No, they're, they're like they're so locked on their phone. It's horrible. Yeah. Yes, they are. It's more fun. It's more fun for her to solve this without it. But sometimes it really I wonder was. how the- And when she when this was all said and done and she came back to the present, each time she came back to the present, she found herself not checking her cell phone. Because she had spent time in the nineteen fifty three and she didn't need it. She had to work on her own wit. And then when she came back she found herself forgetting all about her cell phone. I wish I had one, but I I had one not too long ago when I was growing up, when I was a teen I had one. But when I was go when I was going out with my friends, my mother would say, "If you're going to be late, you have to call me." So I had to find a payphone. Because so I was mm-hmm. five minutes late, I would get grounded. And yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's like crazy. And sometimes, you know, you come the bus is late or something is late because you know you didn't have all this transportation back then. You had to actually go by train to school and go by bus to wherever you had to go, which was a right. pain in the neck too. So. Where am I? Let me put my glasses on so they could see what I'm doing here. Okay. When they when they go, where did they wind up, and why did they? How did they meet Winnie's family, and what did she learn? That was interesting too, because they wind up all the way back. They when they go back to 1953, they actually end up right there at the Lazy Hound Pub, which yeah. is now the Owl's Nest. But 1953, it was the Lazy Hound Pub, and Winnie's family owned it and ran it in 1953. Mm-hmm. And so because we're back there, there's her father, Brian Mullaney, and he's the um, bartender. And then there's Molly Mullaney, that's uh, Winnie's mother, and she, of course, just kind of takes care of everything, makes sure that, you know, the, the dishes are washed and, and everything's tidy. She has two older sisters, Eleanor, which they call Ellie, and Maggie, mm-hmm. and they, they waitress the tables. And now at that point in time, in 1953, both of those young girls are teens. But in 1953, we didn't have the child labor acts that we have now. And back in those days, a girl of 14 or 18 years old could have, yes, handed you a beer. You know, daddy 
puts them on the tray, and Maggie and Ellie takes them over to the tables and hands off the beers. Nowadays, those girls would not be allowed to do that. Back in 1953, mm-hmm. they, they were allowed to do that. And then there's Winnie. Winnie at the time is about eight years old, and every time, every single time we see Winnie, the poor kid is sitting at the end of the bar where the cash bar is now, and she's doing her homework. Uh, she sounds like me. She's always doing her homework. The poor kid, I don't know who her teacher is, but good Lord, they sort do pack on the homework. And the I identify with that. Seriously. She's always doing her homework, yeah. So, um, and, and math just doesn't seem to be her strong suit at the time. And um, so we get to meet all of Winnie's family. And, uh, but during that time, something happens with Ellie, if you remember. Mm-hmm. We don't see a lot of Ellie because as soon as they go into the pub, yeah, no. Ellie is on her way out of the pub and she's in a big rush. And she gets in a car, and there's a young man driving it, and they pull away. And uh, it's because she is running away to get married. And I bought this because I thought, you know, we have to show how things are different then than they are now. Yeah. And the Mulaney's are not happy. Well, first of all, you're never happy when your daughter runs away and gets married, are we? (laughs) That's not exactly something. Yeah, that's not something that we would be thrilled about. But they were particularly unhappy because of his religious, um, right? That, that he was a Jew, and they were Irish Catholic, and um, they were very devout Irish Catholic. And so, with her running off with a Jewish man, and I'm sure that his parents weren't any happier with the situation than the Mullanies were. They are just distraught, and they decide that they don't want anything to do with Ellie anymore. And Alexa is absolutely, positively flabbergasted by the fact you would do that. Because in our day, that's just not a big deal. It's, it's It's just not. But in their day, it was. So, my grandfather's uh, day it was too. I dated. I went out with somebody one time, and my grandfather told him, "Never again." Mm-hmm. And yeah, oh yeah, my grandfather. Are you kidding me? In my family, oh, yeah. I mean, and yet, and yet, my nieces are all married to somebody that's not Jewish. All of mm-hmm. them, except my brother mm-hmm. isn't. But everybody else is married to somebody that's not Jewish, and who cares? It doesn't matter. They're part of the family. No, it doesn't but my matter. Grandfather, no. Of course, my grandfather? Right. Are you kidding? Not not, not, not me, the, because I was the only one that went to Hebrew school and graduated. Mm-hmm. And I was the only one that went and got the degree. My brother went to Yeshiva, and I wanted to go, and my mother didn't send me. I would have been better off, but I was the only one that went. So mm-hmm. where did yeah. they start their research, and how is this different from the present when they try to find out what happened? Well... <laughs> She had to, Alexa had to count on information that maybe the newspapers might have. Or um, Now, she was able, when she was home, before she uh, left, before she agreed to go and before she left for 1953, she was able to do a tiny bit of research on her 
computer. But remember, because the death of Cora Lee happened in 1953, before we had Internet, before we had all of these information outlets, these, this information isn't there unless somebody puts it there. And because it happened in 1953, it's kind of moot. So, but she did happen upon a site called Find a Death. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the site Find a Grave. Have you ever seen that site? If you're looking for someone's grave, you can find it usually. Well, I did a Find a Death. And they, that's where she did find the murder of Coralie. But there still wasn't very much information. Uh so when they got there, she kind of pressures Bobby for information. Think back. Think back. Has there been anybody else murdered, you know, before or right after your wife? And he comes up with a young woman who was murdered behind the Stanley Theater, which is no longer in existence, but after a Peggy Lee concert. And she was strangled, just like Coralie. Mm. So they look up her obituary, and they find out who her mother is, where her mother lives. And uh, mm. her mother, they go and visit her mother. And then the mother informs them of the friend who lives right up the street. And her name is Marion. And they both worked as ushers at the Stanley. And they were both there the night of the Peggy Lee concert. Mm. So they go... Information from Marion. And from this time, this is when Ron comes into, into play. And he is a handyman. John is very, very handsome handyman. And we find out that John um, does jobs for all the widows in the area. And <coughs> we find out that he has worked for Louise's mother, Mrs. Kinsley, and we find out that we, he has worked or done some jobs for Marion as well. And he's, he's not only handsome, but he's also kind of a mysterious character that he lingers around and he just kind of watches what Bobby and Alexa are doing, and he kind of follows them around a little bit, mm. which makes Alexa very nervous and very suspicious of him. I would too, but how you know the what the interesting part is this alexa, how does she run and she's in both timelines? How could she run a business in the present and in the past and she's <laughs> she's they don't even know that she's not there well, while she's gone because that's what her question was too. How am I supposed to go to nineteen fifty three and stay there for who knows how long and then run yeah. my brand new courtier shop? How am I supposed to do this? And and Bobby tells her, don't worry, Pete said everything will be taken care of. Ah, oh, you know, we have to believe St. Pete, don't we, because he is an angel. So um, when she does come back, she finds out that she never left, that she is there. It's just that she doesn't have much of a personality. She's almost zombie-like. She, she goes through all the motions of measuring people for their fittings and and uh, taking care of this and taking care of that, doing sewing and everything. She just doesn't have, it's almost like she's robotic. But while she's away and she comes back for her first visit home from being away, she finds out that she has hired a sales girl, and the sales girl's name is Stacia. 
and Stacia is about 20 years old, I think I said in the, in the book. She was 20 years old. And Stacia just really just kind of does her job but doesn't really care about anything. And um, she's always dropping things and breaking things. And, you know, it's just she's just not a very good sales girl. And, and Winnie's a little bit frazzled by the, 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 the sales girl. Um, but yes, that's, that's what, that's how she runs her business while she's gone. She's actually, there's like a, there's a version of her left behind, which also frazzles, frazzles Winnie. <laughs> oh, God. So, who is Slater in both time periods? That's amazing that you have them in both time periods. And they're two different people. Yes. Um, Slater, Detective Clayton Slate, no, Clifton, Clifton, Detective Clifton Slater is um, a detective, a Pittsburgh police detective, and um, he is working on the Louise Kinsley murder and the Coralie Starr murder in 1953. Cliff Slater is... Detective Clifton Slater's grandson, and yeah. he is the same age as Alexa, and he lived next door to her when she was living at home in uh, Mount Lebanon, and which is another um, area of Pittsburgh. And Cora remembered him, but he was kind of geeky when she knew him, and now Cliff Slater has grown up, and he's no longer geeky. And he, too, is a police detective in Pittsburgh, just like his grandfather. So that's the two. One is Cliff and one is Clifton. And one lives in 1953 and one lives in the 21st century. Now, I have some decisions to make about that. And uh, in the next two books, I think I will be making some decisions about Clifton Slater. Is he still alive? Because if Clifton Slater is still alive, he would be about 97 years old, which is oh, well. not unheard of. I mean, you know, let's look at Betty White here. She's 99. Yes. I mean, and so it, we've had a lot of people live to those ages. But I think I may have him still be alive. Um, that would be I, good. I think, I think I'm going to do something really interesting with that in the next book. Well, I knew you were going to bring him back. You've got to bring Winnie back, too. No, oh, seriously. gosh, yes. I, I couldn't get rid of Winnie. My goodness, she's only 78. And uh, everybody loves she's young. her. Everybody has said she's their favorite character. You've so, got to bring Bobby back, too, to drive her crazy. She has to solve the last two murders. All right, I know. Right, so, right. Who is Ray I, I, wrote this, I wrote this so that I was only, you know, with the Fiona Quinn mysteries, I, I, so far, there are nine books, and um, I, I just I, I left everything open-ended all the time. I mean, there was always I know you do. a resolution to every one of them, but, you know, I, I did. But I wrote this so that there was only three, so that I was only obligated to three books. But I've kind of fallen in love with this series, so I have a feeling there's going to be more than three books. Well, are you going to bring Fiona and Nathan with her? Going to put them together? I, I I haven't decided. I I know that I brought Fiona in 
um, you know, she had a wedding dress fitted, and uh, that was kind of fun. But I, I just kind of used her just, and a lot of people who read the Fiona Quinn books said that they really loved seeing her in there. But I don't yeah, know that too. I'll bring her. No, that's a separate series. Um, yeah. You know, that's a completely separate series, and the personalities are completely different. Uh, Alexa O is nothing like Fiona. You know, Fiona's kind of, uh, you know, when she gets upset, she becomes an instant, she gets verbal diarrhea, and she just gets very upset, and, and she's really not, I wouldn't say she's naive, very innocent, you know. And Alexa's been around a little more than Fiona has been, you know. Not so that we I have the murder. What? So who, tell us about Garbo and what the chat tries to say something about Garbo to Alexa, and what is she focused on? That was interesting, too. I didn't like Garbo at all. You didn't like Garbo? Um, no, not really. Not really. Because you don't like cats. And cats aren't no. anything like dogs. You know, uh, like I have a dog. Friendly. Oh, I yeah, had two dog. cats next door to me that just died, my Albie and my Pieta. And Albie was my pal. He used to come out every morning, and I had to sit on the floor and pat him. But he's gone, so I lost my cat. What can I do? Yeah. Well, I have okay. a dog, a Cocker Spaniel. His name's Alistair, and he's very, very friendly. And then we have cats down the barn, but we don't have them in the house. They're, they're barn cats, and most of them are feral. But... Um, the the one cat is real real fluffy and um we've managed to make very very good friends with him and another black cat but feral cats are very hard to make friends with but um anyway uh garbo is cats are standoffish that's just the way cats are they're very standoffish and garbo <laughs> is extremely standoffish but garbo has has an agenda garbo is there to, to, like I said, oversee that parking lot. She witnessed the murder of her mistress. She saw Coralie be murdered. So this has, this has been very devastating to the cat. And so she sits on that chair in Alexa's bedroom every day, every day, every day, and stares out the window where Coralie fell. And um, she tries to show Alexa that she's running out of time because during the course of the story, Garbo is fading, fading, fading because Bobby and Alexa are only given, what, three days to, yeah. uh, to, to find the, the killer for this, this murder. So what happens if they don't find the killer? What happens if they don't find the killer? He doesn't go into the Guardian Angels squad, or does he get banished somewhere? He doesn't get to be in the squad. He doesn't get to be in the squad. Yeah. Oh, poor Bobby. I like him. Poor Bobby. Yeah, I liked Bobby, too. He was a bit irresponsible, you know, because, um, and he's a bit of a womanizer, but he he still has those redeeming qualities. He still has redeeming qualities. So if he comes back to the present year and he's in the room, she's the only one that sees him? Nobody else? Alexa sees see him, him and Winnie sees him. Yeah, they're the only two who see Bobby. Nobody I else see sees Bobby. him. Oh, I mm-hmm. see him. I can picture him. I'll tell you that. Okay. 
Yep, you can picture him that those that smile with those uh, dimples and the black fedora hat and yeah, That's very so handsome. Cool. Yeah. So who who is Mrs. Kingsley? Kin, Kinsley, Mrs. Kinsley. Kinsley. Mrs. Kinsley. Kinsley is uh, Louise Kinsley's mother, and Louise Kinsley was the young woman who was murdered, strangled behind the Stanley Theater several months before Cora Lee. Cora Lee was murdered in July of 1953, and Louise Kinsley was murdered in May of 1953. And she is, uh, she's very, you know, she's not handling the death of her daughter well, which very few people would, especially a murder. It's one thing if your child is killed in an accident, but when they're murdered, I think it's ten times worse. Um, and, um, she, she's the one who, who points Alexa and Bobby in the direction of Marion Hill. Her her name's Marion Hill. Funny how you have trouble remembering, uh, secondary characters' names after months go by. Uh, and, uh, tells them that Marion probably knows more about Louise's personal life than she did, because Louise kind of quiet bookworm stay to herself. So, where am I here? Who is John and why was he arrested for the murders? Well, John um John was the handyman, the very, very handsome handyman who um mm-hmm. who worked for all the widows in the area. And nice job. um yeah, I mean, he just went from house to house and took care of things that they couldn't. And the women considered him very reliable and very reasonably priced. So, which is a very good thing. You know, people need that sort of thing. And so, um, Marion Hill ends up being the third victim, and she too is murdered. And he is accused of that murder because. The newspaper reporter who has been covering these yeah. murders, his name is Ray Howell, he comes forward and says that somebody told him that the handyman, each one of these women, that the murderer would take a ring from them, take a ring right off their fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Cora Lee, it was her wedding band. For Louise Kinsley, it was a... Um, um, birthstone ring that her father had given to her for her 16th birthday. And uh, for Marion Hill, it was a pigeon blood ruby that he removed from. And the, Ray Howell says that horse that he was not willing to name said that he was working for someone in, that he works for, that the man was employed by this woman, and he came in to do some handyman work for her, and he had one of the rings in his toolbox, and he saw it. And so, of course, that's pretty damning evidence, especially yeah. if it turns out to be one of the actual rings. So after Ray Howell tells Clifton, Detective Clifton Slater this, and Alexa's standing right there, he heads straight over to where John lives and 
sure enough, John has Louise Kinsley's ring, and he is immediately arrested for the murder of Louise Kinsley. But he's only arrested for that murder. He's not arrested for Cora Lee, and he's not arrested for Marion Hill because that That's is the that only one. ring he has. So he's only arrested for one of the murders. So that leaves two more unsolved. So, but Alexa doesn't believe that. She thinks they have it wrong, and the police don't look any further. So why did they well, believe one source? Why didn't they go further? Well, then you know what? You hear that on the news today, too. Mm-hmm. And back in the 1950s, you have to remember, back in the 1950s, I don't think that murder investigations were as deep as they are now, mainly because of the the fact that they didn't have all the DNA stuff and all of the, you know, they didn't have all of the resources available to them that our police officers have now, you know. And um, so I think that if you were accused of a crime in the 1950s and you had evidence, physical evidence on your person, I think I think you were as good as, you know, convicted. I really do. Yeah. And poor John, I can't remember his last name now. Herman. His last name was Herman. John Herman. He had that physical evidence, and he was drugged down to the police station, and he was he was charged with that murder. But of course, Alexa doesn't believe it. She's like, "Well, that was way too easy." Well, how did she figure it out without telling? I mean, she's okay. not a sleuth, but yet she's very perceptive, though. That's why I like she's her. She's very perceptive because, because she lives in the 21st century, because she sees all those television programs. She, <laughs> while she's standing, you know, and, and another thing that's interesting is, did you notice she walked right into that house and right into that crime scene? Nowadays, you wouldn't be able to get within 50 feet of that house. There's no way they would allow you anywhere near a crime scene. They wouldn't care if you were Marion Hill's sister. They weren't going to let you in there. Well, she walks right in. As a matter of fact, a police officer holds the door open it for her, doesn't he? And, you know, if you think back on some of the old television shows like Columbo, for example, People just walk right in and out of those crime scenes, and those that's in the 1970s. And the police officers are smoking cigarettes, and, you know, they're touching things. And, mm. you know, nowadays that's not how it would be at all. So when she decides to go up and she she knows that something bad has happened to Marion Hill because um, yeah, that was sad. Louise Kinsley has called the pub and said so. Um <laughs> She goes up there, and she's like, how am I getting in here? Well, she just can't believe it when she walks right in. And while she's in there, she steps on something, doesn't she? Yep, she does. So what happens when she faces off with the killer? Where's Bobby? I mean, seriously, I got nervous about her. Well, if you remember, she goes to Baker's Shoes, Cora Lee's parents' shoe shop, to... to, uh, look for the rings. She believes that the rings, you know, the Pigeon Blood Ruby and um, Coralie's ring is there somewhere. And Bobby tells her he doesn't want her to go by herself. 
that she says, <laughs> I'm smaller, I'm faster, I can get in and out. And, but of course, she's caught, isn't she? No. Yeah. That's scary. She's caught. And, but that's when Bobby shows up when she's caught. And then when the police show up, Bobby disappears, which makes her really mad. Do you so, think if he was uh, alive, she would have gone out with him? <laughs> with Bobby? Yeah. Um, no, I don't think she would have. I think even in the uh, book it says he was the kind of man she liked looking at, but, but never not going out with you. Yeah. She didn't She's mind more looking like at him. candy. Yeah. You know who I think of when I write his role? Henry Cavill. Okay. That's who I think of, Henry Cavill. Yeah. So when it's over, if it ever ends, it's not going to end, you're going to bring Slater back. Is she going to connect? With him, because she likes him. He likes her, too. I like yes. him. I am, yes, she likes she likes Cliff Slater very, very much. And um, I'm writing book two right now. I'm in the middle of writing it. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struggling writing it because I am recovering from COVID. So it's like That's I can write. That's a joy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can write a couple paragraphs, and then I just. I know what you're saying, yeah. Oh, see. Yeah, I, it's like the, the fatigue is so awful. So I just fall asleep in the middle of writing a paragraph. It's awful. But, um, yes, yeah, Slater comes back. Um, is he involved in the going into time travel? No, he is not. He is, he is not part of that. Um, will he ever be? I don't know. I haven't made that decision yet. But uh, his, his, his grandfather will be there, Clifton, later. Uh, he's there. And... Uh, I think the next book will be fun, and, and I'm, I've already know what I'm doing with the third book. So it'll be a lot of fun. It will be. Well, Fiona uh, was cool in this with her, too. But if Fiona and Alexa lived in the same town, would they be friends? And Fiona's got to get tougher in school. I mean, I was tough <laughs> with my kids in school. No, no, I never, you know, after the first two weeks when I realized, brilliant one, you're in charge. Don't even think about it. And I taught that they gave me the worst sixth-grade class in America. They stacked the deck. Every discipline <laughs> problem you could possibly find, and they weren't 11. They were 13 and 14, and they were, I'm 5 feet tall, and they were 9 feet tall. And yeah. I, 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 sw- I swore I wasn't going to make it, but there were two teachers in my school that were really tough, two black teachers, that took me under their wing and taught me how to be like them. And I love them forever and ever and ever. But, yeah, you learn. I, I got tough. And when I realized I was in charge, I go, like, you want to graduate? Or do you want to look at this face one more year? So some of the boys said we wouldn't mind. <laughs> I asked them, uh, you, the second time might not be as nice. What can I say? But, um, no, I, I literally won them over with my, with my you know, toughness. But they, they were, they were, the principal wanted me to fail because the assistant principal was my third-grade teacher. I got hired walking down the street waving at people. I didn't even have to take a test. I didn't have to do anything. She just said, if you're one of my students, you're going to be great. <laughs> you know something? It was the best year. It was the, my first year was, was one of the best in my life. And at the last day of school, they looked at me, and I played a dirty trick on them. My sister was alive back then. I wish she was still here. She told me to stay in the hall and hide, and she was going to take over my class and tell them they, they couldn't get their report cards because I wasn't there. It was hilarious. It was really, <laughs> It was so hilarious. But it was fun. 
So do you think she and Fiona would become friends if they lived in the same place? Well, the Strip District, Fiona lives in an area called Westwood where I grew up. The Strip District is in the downtown area. So um, they live probably, oh, God, I don't know how far away from each other, maybe 9 to 10 miles. I'm not, I'm not good at that, but I'm thinking they live about 9 to 10 miles away from each other. But uh, Fiona would have to have a reason to be in the Strip. Uh, and a lot of people go to the Strip. I mean, you know, they, they go there for nightlife. They go there for dinner. They go there for shopping. But she would also have to have a reason to be in a, uh, a, uh, a sewing shop. You know, and she's been there to have her dress altered for her wedding. Um, so there's really and, and there's really no reason for her to be there. You know, um, like I said, I, I just don't know that uh, Alexa and Fiona have a future together. Like I said, it's two separate uh, series, but I did bring her in just to kind of make my Fiona fans smile. You know, a lot of the Fiona fans said, oh, I was so tickled to see Fiona make an appearance in this book. You know? Will you do the opposite and bring Alexa into Fiona? I, I, there's, no reason Fiona uh, there's no reason for Alexa to be in Westwood. You know, she, there's know. just no reason to be there, you know. I, I, I can't well, imagine that I would, but you never know. You never know what I'm going to do, Fran. You know how I am. <laughs> I, I, know. I know. I never know what you're going to do. And are you going to bring Garbo back, too? If no, Garbo is person. gone. Garbo has crossed uh, Rainbow Bridge, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Uh, Yeah, she's gone. But in the next book, there is another animal that comes uh, Mm. who is a ghost animal, and her name is Trixie. Oh, I like that name. Yeah, her name is Trixie, and she is a poodle. And, I mean, when I do things like this, I go to those those time, uh, those eras. And I find out what the popular names for those time eras were. You know, like in 1953, Catherine was a very popular name. Uh, And that's why he had three wives named Catherine. Because in the 1920s, which probably, 1930s, excuse me, they probably would have been born. That was a popular name back then. (laughs) And so that's why he used Catherine. And, uh, well, let's see, he had a wife named Catherine, then Cora, then Catherine, then Venetia, who was the exotic dancer, and then the last one was Catherine with a K. So, um, you know, Trixie was a popular name for a dog back in the 1950s. Well, Trixie was the name of, um, in Art Connie's wife, too, in The Honeymooners. Oh, and I love Trixie. Yes. yes, that's right, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody watches them. My, my, little, my little niece watches them. Everybody watches The Honeymooners. What can I say? So yeah. one oh, of yeah, these, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for my two singing stars to come on. I don't know if they are, because I think one's up and the other one's not, so I'm waiting. So we're going to stall a minute for them. Um, what, what, when you write a character in a series, I've been asking this for all the, all the authors that write characters in a series, how do you keep it so that people don't get bored? And what is, what is Fiona and Nathan going to solve next? I, she's got to toughen up. I got to teach her some of my skills. Seriously. <laughs> well, I just I I um let's see I published the ninth Fiona book back in I don't even remember. I think it was May. I published the ninth Fiona book, <coughs> and 
we have left them where they need to get married in front yeah. of people. You know that they are secretly married because they got married on that cruise. And now they're trying to make the decisions about a real marriage, a, a wedding. And, of course, Nancy is pushing them to get married because she thinks they're just engaged, <laughs> which, in fact, they are not. They are actually married. So um, I, need to, I need to write that tenth book, but I'm just so preoccupied with the owl books right now. That's terrible, but I'm very preoccupied with these. So I'd like to um, – uh, my next one for Fiona is going to be called – let me think now. I, I have it written down. Murder, Mayhem, and Marriage, I think it's called. Nice. Murder, Mayhem, and Marriage. Or is it when mayhem, is that murder? coming out? When do, you, when do you think it's coming out? Oh, I'm, I'm hoping uh, in the summer I'll bring that one out. The next um, Alexa book will be coming out this spring, uh, March or April, and it's called Max Out. And, uh, of course, Bobby Starr comes back, only this time he brings a friend along, and her name is Maxie Krogan, and she's no angel. So um, that's why the book is called Max Out. Well, you got to let me know because... Like I said before, my sh- I can't believe this. I just booked my last show for April. That's oh, it, wow. People. Yeah, and yeah. I just booked one uh, for May. I won't say who the author is, but I was really hoping she would turn it down when they asked oh. her to do it. Because the last, she's, her book is good, but talking to her was going through a root canal or an implant. And, oh. um Yeah, and I, like, I don't like turning people down, so... Hopefully she'll smile on this one. She never thanked me for the interview, either. And oh well, oh. I, I didn't well, really want to do it. Well, if you want me on in May, I'm more than willing to come in on May. This book, Maxed Out, should be ready in uh, oh. between March or April. Should be out. Hold on a minute. Let me put this on speakerphone so I can see what I'm looking at here. This way I have you down for a day. Okay, people, where's my May? Let's see. A show on the third, which uh, f- which is the fourth, which is Dick Belsky. I have this person on the sixth. <clears throat> I have one on the eighteenth, which is Vincent Zandri. I could do May tenth. Does that work? May tenth, it is. Okay, let me put that in there. It's so on I my calendar. Lewis. Okay, okay and I'm going to put that in. I'm going to put that in there. I don't know what's happening to my two singing stars, but if they don't call in in five minutes, there's nothing I could do about it. So where can we (laughs) find out more about you and your work? And I'm going to stall by playing their songs, but if they don't call in in five minutes, I get to eat lunch. (laughs) Okay. Um, You can find, of course, I have my website, um, csmcdonaldbooks.com. You can find me on Facebook. Um, author C.S. McDonald, Busy Mysteries. I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm not hard to find. I'm definitely not hard to find. I'm hard to find. And all my books well, are on Amazon. Well, guess what Fran's book is going to be called? I haven't decided yet. I have to find an editor that really can edit for content, uh-huh. not just for spelling and grammar, because I don't do spelling and grammar. I just hand it to the editor and say, it's your problem, not mine. Yeah. Um, the title of the book is A World Without People, and, um, oh, that's weird. Oh, you see, they're coming to listen to the song. That's my cousin. Hi, Carol. 
How you doing? And um, it's it's like it's like crazy. Uh, it's it's a, I dev- created eight worlds, eight worlds oh, that wow. no one would ever want to live in. One is one is a dead forest with dead leaves and dead bodies. Another one is the world without sun. Another one is polar life, and none of them have people. Then I invite one person to come in for like three or four paragraphs and visualize what they see and tell everybody what they see. Which one of my worlds would you like to live in, if at all? I just thought it was different. And I, I was listening last night. I'm doing, I should, can't forget this, um, today is one is Monday. Uh, Wednesday I have the author of Blood, Blood in Old Country, and on Thursday, I have psychotherapist Dennis Palumbo. We're going to check on uh, fear, isolation, and all the things that we feel and stress during the, the COVID. Monday, we have um, Connie DeMarco. And on Wednesday, we have uh, John, uh, James Grappello. And on Thursday, I am going to do something that no one else would do except me, they said, going to take it with former FBI agent Michael Tabin and I are going to talk about the Capitol riots. For real. Oh, God. We are. Oh, God. Yeah, we are. There's, we are I doing would never it. Let's talk about it. It's just, it's so awful. Yeah. I don't even want to think about it, let alone talk That's about it. That's why we're doing it. And actually, I'm thinking that the last chapter of my book possibly will be exactly that. Somebody coming back and describing what they saw and why this should never have happened. But, Cindy, I want to thank you. I don't know if my nieces are coming on, but I'm going to play this song anyway because there's somebody that wants to hear it very badly. And I'm going okay. to play um, – I'm going to play the – the song is called Eat Your Heart Out by Carly Tappan. The other song, I don't know the name of it, but it's beautiful. So I think I'll play Ashley's song first if I can get this to go. Here we go. Okay. I hope it comes on. I don't know why my phone doesn't love me. (laughs) I'm worried that my phone's going to call God on me here any minute.
great platform to promote it on, um, to pay to promote it on there and just try to target um, the audience for this song, whoever feels like they can relate to it in any way, um, target them. That's amazing. So, Carly, what's happening with your song? And let me, I got this right this time. I'm going to play it. Everybody, eat your heart out by Carly Tappen. Woo! I wish you could see the video. That was absolutely, there's more. Yeah, I thought they were great. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. 
alike. That's so yeah, I have a, a feeling that before that. we hang up, Mommy wants to say something. Hold on. Okay. Here she comes. Is that you, Tammy? Hi, no, no. So, yes, that was, I love that she's so close to Jason and her sister. And she does love me. They do love me, but in their own little special way. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes, I'm always we, we, on the back end of the burner. Yes, I'm on the back end of the burner, for sure. No, you're but not. But that's okay. No, no but your you daddy's mean. girl, your daddy's little girl, the girls are daddy's girls. So that's okay. Tammy, I was a dad. Girl. All right, I love you, Ashley. Proud. And Franny, can I just congratulate Ashley on her song on your yes, show? Yes, please do. Please do because I All think right. she's amazing. I'm so Ashley, you make me cry every time I hear that song. That song is just phenomenal, and I'm so proud of you. And your mom must be beaming with like such excitement. Like that's so so beautiful. And the next time I'm really next proud time of you, and I love her like a daughter. The next time her mom has to come and listen. You. But you know what? Ashley's now adopted as my new niece, too. She's still oh, with me. Oh, great. Yeah. So, Ashley, where can we find your song? Where can everybody find your song to know about you? Um, I released it on all platforms as well. So, Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube. Um, Amazon Music, every platform that you would be able to go to um, to pay for it or to listen to it for free, they're all on there. Well, I, I, I downloaded Carly's song on Amazon Music for 99 cents. I found it, okay. and it's it's everywhere. But I want to I want to thank everybody, and keep me in touch. And Carly, when the uh, video drops on Friday, send it to me, so I can okay. put it everywhere. And I, I was uh-huh. playing the video because this last time I tried to play your song, I was like, oh, my God, I had the wrong thing. I don't know why. Yeah, so it's, I love version, you all. It's, it's not a it's not a big deal. I love you. Thank you so much. All right, I love you and Franny. Thank you. I love you, too. Have oh, a great day, everybody. Thank you so much. And thank, thank you, Cindy. You, thank you. And Ashley, send me day. the questions, and I'm going to put them out there. Everybody have a great thank day, you. and bye. 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 Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.